Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. Today, we're going to be talking about influence. Now, you can't talk about royalty without talking about influence, right? Because, I mean, what, what good is it to have all this power and not do anything with it? Come on, are you with me? How many of you know that when we talk about influence, we're talking about leadership? So we can't talk about royalty, about kings and queens, about ruling and reigning without talking about influence, without talking about leadership. Now, John Maxwell, if you guys know who John Maxwell is, he's kind of the, 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 one of the, the greatest leadership gurus alive today. And he says this, that leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. Now, we live in America, and when we think leadership, we think, you know, the corporate ladder, we think organization, we think structure, we think all these things, but really, leadership is nothing more than influence. Now, how many know that everybody influences somebody? In fact, you might only influence one person in your life, but how many know that that is still leadership? So I want you to point your finger right in the middle of your chest and say, I am a leader. I am an influencer. And so we're not talking about, now we all know, we've all met that person, right? They're that natural born leader, right? They're top A personality, right? Come on, you guys know what I'm saying? I mean, they are, they are born for leadership. But I believe that you might not have the natural gift for leadership, but you were born again. Come on, God established you as royalty so you could bring his influence on the earth. So leadership, listen, for the Christian, for those of us who are Christians, how many would say I'm I'm in that camp? Um, Leadership, (laughs) that's good. Um, So leadership is not optional for the Christian. So we never get to bail out and say, oh, I'm not really a leader. (laughs) Well, you can't, listen, you can't follow Christ And not care about influencing other people. See, leadership is not optional for the Christian. Some have the gift and some have the position, right? Some have both. Some have the gift and the position. But we all have influence because we have the great influencer. How many of you, Jesus has influenced your life? So because of his influence in our life, we can influence others. Listen, if we're going to follow Christ uh, and we're not influencing others then we are not following close enough. Let me say that again. If you're following Christ and you are not influencing others, then you are simply not following close enough because you cannot follow, listen, the greatest leader of all time. The greatest leader of all time that ever walked the earth. More people have followed Jesus than any other human in history. And Jesus, well, he was God. Yes, he is God. And he is also fully human. And when he lived on the earth, he showed us what it's like to, to live potentially filled full of the Holy Spirit. So we cannot follow Jesus closely and not influence people. So if we're not influencing people, then we need to say, I guess I need to get a little closer. Come on. How many know it's residual? Now, Paul says this. Now, Paul was a significant leader. Come on. I'd say that he's probably the second greatest leader in human history. Wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Come on. Are you with me? People are still following him today, 2,000 years after he's left the planet. And he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. He said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. 
The word in the Greek there is uh, mimites. Everybody say mimites. Not taste, but taste. You can leave the T off the end there. Mimites. And mimites means to imitate, to mimic. It's where we get the word mime. You guys ever seen a mom? Right? They have like the white face and the gloves. And they mime things. They mimic something, right? Um, it's actually the word where, where they would use in like Shakespearean days where they would mimic another, uh, they would act. They were mimicking a role. And how many know that as followers of Christ, we are mimicking Jesus on the earth? In fact, the disciples were called Christians. They were first called Christians in Antioch. What does that mean? Little Christ. So when they looked at the believers, they said, you look like Jesus. You're doing what Jesus did. You're like, you got the bracelet and you're actually doing it. Right? They were doing what Jesus did. They were mimicking what Jesus did. And Paul said this. He said, imitate. The word there in the Greek is actually imitate. Follow me. Follow my example as I follow Christ. I am following the great influencer, and it's a waterfall effect through my life to impact you. This should be something that we are confident in declaring. Follow me as I follow Christ. Jesus said what? Go and make disciples, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And I'm with you. I'll be with you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to help you influence your culture. I'm going to help you influence your kids. I'm going to help you influence your coworkers, your classmates. I'm going to help you influence the culture. I'm not going to leave you to do it alone. I'm actually going to put my spirit, the same spirit that I've been operating with, I'm going to put it in you, and you're going to do the same stuff I've been doing. In fact, you're going to be doing more because there's more of you. This is what Jesus promised. This is what Jesus guaranteed. Come on. So in this kingdom, but in this kingdom, listen, so we have, so we hear leadership and we automatically shift like corporate, right? In our thinking, we're like, oh, corporate, yeah. Jesus said, listen, I have a different slant on leadership. It looks different than the world's system. So in the kingdom, royalty looks different and Jesus patterned a different kind of leadership. So we're called to imitate the leadership of Jesus. So what did that look like? Let's look at that. Y'all with me? All right, right before the triumphal entry, this is where Jesus comes in and they're, you know, he's riding the donkey and people are throwing all this stuff down going, Hosanna. Right before that, Matthew chapter 20, you guys know that story? All right, Matthew chapter 20, because I'm not going to go into that today. We'll be here till two. All right. Notice I didn't say one. All right. Matthew chapter 20. I'm just kidding. I'm just being serious. All right. Matthew chapter 20, verse 20. The mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, some people or other places that calls him the sons of thunder, came to Jesus with her sons, and she knelt respectfully to ask a favor. I mean, you know, she was honoring the Lord. Lord, I got a favor. What is your request, he asked. She replied, in your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in the place of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. Jesus, I really want what's best for my kids. Will you let them sit at your right hand and your left hand for eternity? Can they be like the, your boys? But Jesus answered by saying to them, you don't know what you're asking. Jesus said this, you don't get it. You're missing the point. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? Oh, yes, we replied, they replied. We are able. Sure. Jesus told them, you will drink from my bitter cup. Now, some might say it ended 
poorly for John and James. It actually ended glorious because they actually died as martyrs for Jesus. They imitated Jesus unto death. And so he said, yeah, you, you're going you're gonna to die. And history tells us that they did. They actually died the martyr's death. But I have no right to say who has said on my right or left. My father has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. When the ten other disciples heard that James and John, what James and John had asked, it's interesting that it says James and John had asked, but his mom was the one that asked. So I think they were in on it. Hey, mom, do you think uh, you could ask Jesus to, uh, you know, give us a little bit of position there in his kingdom? <laughs> this is funny. So when the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they they were indignant. We have a word for that. Right? They were ticked. It's not a Christian word. Right? They were upset. They were frustrated. They were like, what is, what? We've been here. We've been following Jesus too. And you guys just went and asked if you could be on his left hand or right. I mean, what are we? Sucker. But Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of this world lord over the people and officials flaunt their authority of those that are under them. But among you, it will be different. Jesus is fixing to straighten out their theology. Jesus is fixing to straighten out their leadology. Among you, it will be different. I just made up a word there. You see that? Leadology. Come on. I said it first. But among you, it'll be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. I can imagine the composure of the disciples changing. What? And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. You remember when Jesus took the elements, the bread and the wine. What did he do? This is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. I'm doing it for you. I'm doing it for mankind. This is the great mission statement of the ages. I'm giving it all for the one. See, this kingdom is an inside, outside, upside down kingdom. We have to die to live, lose to gain, be generous to be considered wealthy. We got to be last to be first. And the higher, if you want to go higher, you got to go lower. And many people want the position. They want the recognition. But God is calling us to the place of servanthood. He's not saying, how high can you go? He's saying, how low will you go? How low will you go? Right? I'm not going to do that. It would be bad. So if you want to go, if you want to be higher, you've got to go lower. So the first thing that Jesus exemplified in his leadology if you will, is his attitude. So if we're called to imitate Christ, then we're called to imitate the attitude that Jesus had. If we're going to be believers, Christians, in fact, I don't like the word believers because we've ruined the word believer. I think there's many believers. They believe in Jesus like they believe in the tooth fairy or the Disney princess who has no influence over their life. I don't think Jesus is looking for believers. I think he's looking for followers. Because in order to follow, you've got to first believe. 
So if we're going to be followers of Christ, then we must imitate his attitude. Y'all all right? Everybody say his attitude. That's good. Thank you. Thank you for, I had to call a second time. I'm usually thinking when I ask for the second time. All right, Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, how many of y'all have encouragement? I'm one with Christ. That's encouraging. Any comfort from his love? Yes. Any fellowship with the Spirit? Mm-hmm. If any tenderness and compassion, yes, yes. Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in the same spirit and purpose. Everybody say purpose. Do nothing. Uh Uh-oh. Here it comes. He set us up. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. How much? I just need to do something for myself. Do nothing oh, out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Oh, man. Lord, can we take that one out? How many of y'all need a little help with that today? I'm right there with you. Each of you should not look only at your own interest, but also in the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Now, a lot of translations translate that word right there, attitude, and it says mind. It says you have the mind of Christ. The mind means the mindset. The mindset is your attitude. We're called to the same attitude, the same mindset that Jesus had. What is that? The greatest should be your servant. This is the attitude of Jesus. Not how much money can I make, how many people can serve my vision. The world tells us that you need to put yourself first. That's garbage. Sadly, a lot of this vernacular has leaked into the church. If people don't serve you, then you eliminate them from your life. If they discourage you, then you separate yourself. It's interesting that Jesus surrounded him by by people that would drain him. And Jesus never lacked encouragement. Can I tell you, and we, we talk about this a lot, if you will see yourself as a resource for encouragement for the discouraged, you will never need encouragement from another person. God will pour his encouragement through you because whatever, listen, whatever we steward in the kingdom, we will have. That's why we don't store up our fat bank accounts so we have more money. No, no, no. We, the only reason why we have fat bank accounts is to be generous. So God makes sure that our barns are full. Come on. So God makes sure when you see yourself as, the, as a resource as encur- of encouragement everywhere you go, he makes sure that you're encouraged. I'm telling you, I'm not being arrogant in this. I'll live this. Do I ever get encouraged? Yeah, for like a day. Discouraged. Do I ever get discouraged? Like two days. But you know what? I don't go to people all the time. I just need some encouragement. I just need someone to quote the word over me and just, no, no, no. You know, you know, let me tell you why. It's not because I'm a pastor. It's because I see it as my job, first of all, to encourage myself in the Lord, as the scripture tells us to do. Not that, listen, get this with me. If you need that help, you ask for it. And you're not unspiritual for asking for it. Come on. But let me tell you, when you see yourself as the resource 
of encouragement for a discouraged world, you will never lack the courage that you need to face your difficulties, to, to, to face your struggles, to face your trials. You will have the courage, but you got to see yourself as that resource. And God makes sure that the bank stays full. He just does. Let me get back on this. Because the world is telling you, you first. You first, you first. You got to put yourself first. You got to make time for you. You got you to do some things for you. Listen, I'm not saying that you don't ever do things for you, but you are not the priority of your life. It is Jesus is the priority of your life. And that means others are the priority of your life. I'm just saying, this is what we read in the scriptures. Not, you know, make sure that you're so healthy. You, do you need to be healthy? Yes, absolutely. But Why? So you can sit around and be comfortable at the end of the day? Or so that the society and the culture that you live in will be full of courage? All right, let me get back on this. The world tells us you have to put your needs first. It's garbage. It's not what we see in Scripture. How many know that there is a difference between a high self-esteem and an accurate self-esteem? Scripture doesn't call you to have a high self-esteem. It actually calls you to have an accurate one. Because some of you probably need to have less self-esteem and have more Christ-esteem. Less confidence and more Godfidence. Romans 12.3, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment according to the measure of faith that God has given you. Does that mean that I don't ever do anything for myself? That's not what that means. That means what is your priority? Because what I see is that people that are really self-centered, that always do, them, do stuff for themselves, and when it's all, all the conversations are about them, I find that they are the most needy and the least generous. And we're going to talk about charity next week, but generous has a lot more to do with, with other things than it does your bank account. Your bank account reflects that, but generosity is a lifestyle. It has character. We'll talk about that a little bit next week. But we're called to be this thing called Humility. Now, none of us have wrote the book on humility. If so, we need to pull it out of print, right? Um, but I, I want to talk for just a minute about false humility because the thing is when we talk about something like this, the tendency is to kind of jump on the other side and do it backwards. How many you know that to be true? So false humility is when people kind of walk around with this woe is me attitude, right? Woe is me. I'm just a filthy, rotten sinner. Listen. If you're in Jesus, you're not a filthy, rotten sinner. Paul refers to himself as a sinner one time in a testimonial text. We've made it a doctrine. Forty times he calls us saints. Forty. That's a lot. That's a good number. You are not a sinner. Oh, yes, I am. I'm a sinner saved by grace. That's right. You were a sinner. How about we change that? Were. You were a sinner saved by grace. You're not righteous. You're not a saint because of anything you've done. You know, I, I just I just read this morning that Mother Teresa by the Catholic Church just got considered a saint. Praise God for that. She deserves that. But in the kingdom of God, you're not a saint because of what you do. You're a saint because of what Jesus has done. It's secure. It's secure. And it isn't going anywhere. So just know that. But you don't walk around arrogantly going, Oh, I'm a saint. I'm royalty. That is the world's way. God calls us to the low road. Come on. In the kingdom, the low road is the high road. 
So get over this, woe is me, I'm just a sinner. Listen, it's not humility to say that you're a sinner. It's a misunderstanding of grace. Y'all all right? It's not humility to say you're a sinner or to woe is me. That's not humility. It's a misunderstanding of grace. Another thing that people do in false humility is they go, well, it's all Jesus. Like you give them a compliment. You're like, man, man, Leslie, you really played good today. And she's like, oh, it's all Jesus. It's like, well, it wasn't that good. Right? I mean, it was good, but it's not. Right? It's, right, baby? You know, it, it was that good. Come on. Make sure we take care of that before before surgery. <laughs> How many know that Paul said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ? So you need to model this. And when people come and give you, listen, you've got to learn to take a compliment in the kingdom. Compliments don't puff. What happens is when someone comes up to you and you're like, man, I just, I love the way you worship, man. You, you like start worshiping. And I'm like, oh man, that, that person loves God. And I get, and don't be like, I just, I just love the Lord so much. That wasn't humble. What you should do is go, oh man. I appreciate that. I'm, I'm glad that I could encourage you today. And then you walk in the other room and you go, God, it was really all about you. It wasn't really about me. Because see, whenever we get our shiny crowns, when people come and they can listen, Scripture speaks of a glory of, of man. You have a glory on you. It's awesome. It's a great glory. But when you compare that glory to the glory of God, it fails. You know, you get a little bashful when you're walking around with that. We're, we've been watching the Ultimate Fighter, and uh, I know, and uh, these they're doing this thing about all these champions, and they come in and they have all their belts. It's not the belt, it's not the UFC belt, but it's all their little belts from their organization, and they just look cheap and chintzy and kind of you know lame. And uh, you're just gonna, those those belts are not awesome, but I guarantee you they think those belts are awesome. But and they probably would be awesome if you didn't have a greater glory to compare it to. And so we have these nice beautiful crowns that the Lord has given us and when we get into heaven we're going to be wearing these crowns scripture says we're going to be wearing the crowns of life and we're going to have all these things all this glory that we get to have and we're going to take it in and we're going to see his glory and we're going to go oh my my glory is not very awesome and we're going to cast the crowns at his feet that's what humility looks like It's recognizing that, hey, I'm confident in what God has called me to, but I understand that he is so much greater. Humility is our posture before the Lord. True humility is not thinking, I love as C.S. Lewis said this, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. And I love that. Consider him who considered others. Humility is not self-loathing. Oh, just... I'm just so miserable. Do you see how it is still about you in that statement? I'm just so discouraged. Do you see that there is no humility in that statement? Because the statement still starts with I. Some of y'all get that at about 2.30 today. Man, y'all are laughing at my jokes. I feel so encouraged. Number three, humility carries no agenda for personal gains in regards to our treatment of others. I've seen people use people 
as, as kind of uh, pawns in their life. I'll be in relationship with you. I'll be in connection with you as long as you can get me somewhere. That is not considering others. Listen, we, don't, we, 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 do, we do not, in our loving of people, in our putting of people first, we do not have a personal agenda. We don't promote ourselves. We focus on exalting God and trust his promotion process. Because we are used to microwaves and fast food, and we love for the process to be short. We like to watch sitcoms where the problem is solved in 30 minutes. We think that's how life should be. How, how, can, I, how can I suffer the least and get the most out of it? You don't. You struggle, you grind through it, and at the end of it, you go, whew, that was tough. And you look back and you went, go, you are good, you are good. That's what the process looks like. And sometimes the process is two days. Sometimes it's two weeks. Sometimes it's two years. Sometimes it's two decades. But you're not leaving the process because it's never really been about you. And so we don't promote ourselves. We're not like, well, I'm going to, if I don't, move things around just right, then I'm never going to get to the top. Mm. So we don't promote ourselves. We focus on exalting God and allowing him to be first in our life and trusting his promotion process. And listen, promotion will come. Promotion will come. And promotion may look different than what you think it should look like. But promotion will come. How many know that every transition in your life, no matter how much money you're making or how many names are underneath your name on the corporate ladder, every promotion in the kingdom of God is, every transition in the kingdom of God is a promotion. Everyone. Well, I used to have like, and now I'm like here. Every, if God is moving you, he's moving you to promote you. Get that. He's not demoting you. You get over that. You're not that powerful. In this kingdom, we don't get promoted because we're intelligent, competent, ambitious, skilled, or gifted. We get promoted by being humble enough to trust in our God. Because it says in James right here, God opposes the proud. Now, there's a lot of things in my life I'm opposed to. But there's one thing I don't want to be opposed to, and that's God. Pride actually opposes. It's the one thing, the one thing that we can have in our life that will actually stench the nostrils of God. It's called pride. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So when we live our lives, we live dependent upon Him in humility, trusting Him. Y'all all right? Remember, the greatest fall in human history because somebody was promoting himself, forcing for a position. We're talking about the devil. I will get to the top of the ladder. I. Read that, Isaiah. Read that. I will do this. I will do that. And I'm going to do this. And I'm going to get exalted. The greatest fall in human history is when somebody was promoting himself to force position. And can I tell you that he rules that kingdom with the same prideful spirit that is a spirit of the world. It's a spirit of the devil that says, I can do anything. I, I, I don't like it when my kids come to me and they're like, I can do anything. I can do anything. And God is absent from that equation. 
I don't want my kids hearing that message because I can tell you right now that my kids, there, there's certain things that you, you are not going to be able to do. But oh, that's not true. Uh, all right. That is not the spirit of the kingdom of God. I will do, I can do anything that God has purposed me to do. I, I need you to, to, to shift your thinking off that world mindset. Now, whenever our kids have desire, do we want to promote them and we don't want to encourage that? Absolutely. You know, our, our son just started soccer and I didn't set him down and go, listen, son, you can do anything. You can beat every kid out there. I didn't set him up for that prideful spirit. I said, listen, son, these kids have been playing for years and this is your first season. They're going to be better than you. You can get better. You can get good, but some of them will be better than you. What is that? Sober judgment. Not thinking of, I'm not letting him think more highly of himself than he ought to. You know, I know that the poster's all cute and everything. The little, you can do anything. You can be what you want to be. We see where that's getting us in our culture. I'm sorry, a man cannot be a woman. He can cut things off. He can put makeup on. He can wear a dress, but that does not make him a woman. It just doesn't. You can't be anything you want to be. Sorry, Disney. All right. It's a spirit of pride. Y'all all right? Please, please feel my heart. I know, I know that uh, ho- hopefully I'm speaking that with at least partially humble. <laughs> Y'all all right? So, humility. Humility. Sober judgment. Come on. Considering others first. Y'all all right? The next thing that we follow, imitate Jesus, is humility. His posture, Right? That was the posture of Jesus. Humility, considering others, living for others. Oh, he's going to get burned out. You don't get burned out when you live like that. I mean, I've been trying to burn myself out for over 20 years. Haven't got, haven't got burned out yet. Have I got burned? Oh, yeah. Have I got tired? Yeah. Have I ever been burned out? No, because I have a living flame inside of me. The unending living flame of God that never burns out. And I can't burn out, not because I'm so great, but because the Holy Spirit is inside of me. And that flame doesn't go out. Does some days it feel like it's dim? Yes. And what do I do? I lean into the fire. Y'all all right? All right. And then we bring it to action. So we imitate. What is action in the kingdom? So we have attitude and we have action. What is Action in the kingdom. Action in the kingdom is by imitating his leadership style of serving. Everybody say serve. Everybody say you got to serve somebody. Listen, in the kingdom, leadership is not about climbing to the top, but serving our way to the bottom. It's not about climbing my way to the top with ambition and skill. It's about serving my way to the bottom. It's not how much food I can have in the refrigerator. It's how, much, how many mouths can I feed. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, continuing from the verse we just left off, you should have the same attitude of Christ, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. Taking on the nature of a servant 
being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. What did Jesus do? King of glory said, I'm going to go and I'm going to show you what leadership in this kingdom looks like. He comes down. Listen, we're not talking about you took, you went and lived on the streets for a couple of weeks. We're not talking about that. We're talking about God, the eternal God, Jesus. Not the Father, but Jesus says, I'm going to go. I'm going to put those people first. God so loved the world. I'm going to put those people first. I'm going to go and I'm going to serve them. I'm going to get my hands dirty. I'm going to go and be the servant of all. This is what leadership looks like. The greatest leader of human history wasn't driven by ambition. Wasn't driven by a personality test or a mission statement per se. How many know that serving is humility in action? I love what Bill Johnson says that we rule like servants and we serve like kings. So your royalty, serve like a king. Serve like a king. Serve like a king. I love it. I don't know where it came from, but it says this. If serving is below you, leadership is beyond you. Listen, our motivation many times for serving is to say, so I don't ever have to do that again. I'll do it now so I don't have to do it later. Welcome to the top. In this kingdom, the top is the bottom. The best, the best place to be is, the best place to be at the table is where the server is standing. This is what we want, right? We want people to cater to us and meet our needs and just take care of me, 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 me. Listen, in the kingdom, the goal is not the top. The goal is the bottom. Can I serve humanity like Jesus did? So what does serving look like? Let me give you something practical. Y'all all right? Serving looks like when you go out of your way to help others do what they're doing. That's what serving is. Serving is when you go out of your way. It costs you something. And I got a little bit of time here, so just so you know, you're good. You're good. When you go out of your way to help others do what they're doing. Y'all all right? Give them some eye candy up here, Pastor Nathan. When you go out of your way to help others do what they're doing. When you hold the door open for somebody when you're in a rush. When you carry an older person that you use groceries out of the store because you're in a rush, but you went out of your way to help somebody do what they're doing. That's serving. The drive of this world is, is, is the strive is money, fame, success. You gotta climb your way to the top. And if people can't help you accomplish your goals, then eliminate them. If they don't fit your vision, then take them away with your ambition and cut them off. This is the leadership model of the world. Jesus says this. Help people do what they're called to do. That's what you're called to do. The high calling is not this great thing with your name and lights. And you to be able to go look at me. Everybody knows my name. That is not the goal in the kingdom. If I can just get them out of my life because they're not helping me. They're not helping me. They're, 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 called, they're, they're distraction. They're distraction. They, I know they have needs. Let somebody else mess with them. So that you might have your name and lights and your name on a letterhead. Jesus is saying, 
Your purpose in life is number one, to lay your life down for others. That is the mission. I would like to see more purpose statements like that. To serve as many people as I can. To give my life for as many people that can. To be a bridge for people to encounter Jesus. I'll lay it all down for that. Any leadership model that distances you from people is not not a biblical model of leadership. The vision is people. The vision is people. The vision is your neighbor. The vision is the hurt. The vision is the lost and the lonely. The afraid, the discouraged, the sick, the broken. This is the vision. The vision is that people would come to this man, Jesus, who can solve every issue of their life. This is why we talk about encountering the reality of Jesus. Because every person in their need is only one encounter away from Jesus of changing everything. They're just one encounter away. I will spend the rest of my life getting people to meet this man, to have an encounter with this beautiful man who takes beauty and turns it into ashes, who takes sorrow and mourning and turns it into praise. I'll give my life for it, God, because they are valuable to you. So serving looks like when we go out of our way to help others. Serving means going the extra mile at work without expecting pay or promotion. Were you going to pay me for that? There's your reward. Go ahead and take it. If that's the reward you want, then that's the reward you can have. Or you can have the reward from heaven. Number three, taking time out of your busy schedule to encourage somebody or pray for somebody. I'm just so busy. I have an appointment. I have something I need to do. Sorry, I don't have time to encourage you or smile at you. The only thing I have time to do is dismiss you and and treat you like you're unimportant. Loving the person in front of you. Serving means, number four, serving means doing something for your spouse that is their job. Guys, this means doing the dishes or changing a diaper. Ladies, this looks like washing the truck or mowing the lawn. Why are you laughing? Come on. Serving your spouse, serving your kids. I know Facebook's important. I know you want to check your like the likes on that awesome status you posted. Serving means not just coming to church, but being the church. See, everybody can do something. So volunteer a Sunday. We, 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 listen, we, we understand that serving is your destiny. Not just at church, but at work and at home, everywhere. Serving is your destiny. So commit a Sunday. Commit a Sunday of the month to come and throw out the trash. We're taking a few hours out of your busy week like we had this week with David coming up and fixing air conditioners. Take some time out of your schedule to serve the kingdom, to serve your brothers and sisters. Don't just come to church and enjoy a service and leave encouraged. You will receive the most where you are invested the most. It's your destiny. So we provide opportunities for you to serve, to learn the culture of serving. It's not just about what happens in this house, although that's a great place for you to learn it. And seize those opportunities. Pastor Brooks loving me right now. Listen, serving in the kingdom is a priority. You say, I don't have time for that. Then you have a priority issue. I'm just telling you, Jesus said it. Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom. 
Well, I don't have time. Then quit being so ambitious and making your life all about you. And seek first the kingdom. And then he says this. And everything will be added. Everything will be taken care of. If you just put my kingdom first, I'll fulfill your desires. But it won't happen by your ambition. You might be able to fulfill him, fulfill them, but God won't. And you won't see the goodness of God. You'll only see what you can do. And that's not to say we don't need to take a, time, a break from time to time from serving. Because rest, resting it should be a priority. Are y'all with me? Number six. Serving means meeting the core needs of people. Again, it's all about that encounter with Jesus. The goal of serving, let me just say this. The goal of serving people isn't to make sad people happy, but to see sick people healthy. We're not just trying to cater to people so they'll be happy and quit complaining. Listen, you don't, you don't help a crack addict by giving him more crack. That doesn't help them. You help them by giving them hope. Y'all all right? So we meet not necessarily the what they would call needs or wants. We meet the core need. The core need is Jesus. And it might start with taking them some, an extra burrito that you bought at Taco Bell to give them lunch. It may start by, you, you want to you influence your, your job, your boss at work? You want to influence your boss? Then buy him lunch. Then stay a couple extra hours this week and serve him. You want to be blessed from your church and not be like, well, I, I don't know, I'm just not really liking it so much. You want to change that attitude? You want to be happy here? Then you got to serve here. It's just the way it works. I'm not asking that you get 40 hours a week or anything like that. But it's just the way it works. Where you are invested most, you'll receive best. Love where God has put you. You know, Joseph, I'm closing up, but listen, Joseph, if you guys remember the story, we've referenced it several times. Genesis chapter 37 is where the story of Joseph starts, and he had a dream. God gave him a dream to be an influencer. And he told his, he he was a little bit arrogant, and he went and he told his family, hey, you're all going to bow down to me. And so, he went through the humility process and he was thrown into a pit. I believe Joseph learned something that day because we noticed his disposition changed. We saw some humility enter the scene. And so Joseph was in, in the pit and he got sold into slavery. And then he started uh, serving in Potiphar's house. And he began to get promoted until he's the next man in charge. What was he doing? He was serving. Scripture tells us this about Joseph, that everything he did prospered. It prospered whenever he was in Potiphar's house. And then he gets wrongly accused from Potiphar's wife. And he gets thrown into prison. And guess what happened in prison? Everything he did prospered. Because you put a prince in a prison and he makes it a palace. And he served. And he worked his rear off. And he got promoted and then he got forgotten but he kept doing what he was called to do and he served and he served and then someone remembered this guy Joseph and then it positioned him to be 
under Pharaoh. And guess what he did under Pharaoh? He served. And he served. A wicked pagan king, he served him. He heard the Lord for him. Promotion, 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 promotion. Can I tell you, the dream that Joseph had eventually came true. But it didn't happen because he had a great slick mission statement and a nice little bonder he carried around or because he wore a three-piece suit. It's because he served everywhere he went like he was in the palace. He served like a king. This is the deal. Some of us see ourselves unfit for serving. Don't we? Maybe it's because we've had some difficulty in our life or because it's inconvenient or because we've made some mistakes. We've done some foolishness. So we say, well, I don't get to participate in that. There's a story about Jesus going to the upper room, spending some time with his disciples. And they ate, and they were hanging out, and Jesus told his disciples, he said, all right, guys, I'm going to wash your feet now. Now, washing feet was the job of a servant. Here's Jesus at the end of his life. And it says this right before it happens. It said he was about to show them the full extent of his love. So Jesus says, it has this meal, tells the disciples all this stuff, and he says, okay, guys, it's time to wash your feet. And one by one, he begins to wash the feet of his disciples. And he gets to Peter. And Peter says, "Uh uh-uh. You're not washing my feet. I should be washing your feet. And he said, Peter, if you don't let me serve you, if you don't let me wash your feet, you can have no part with me. And he said, all right, Lord, if that's the case, then wash my body as well. Wash my head. Wash my hands. Wash me completely. What's the point? The point is this. You might think you're unfit for what God has called you to do. You may have disqualified yourself, but can I tell you that we're not just serving a dictating king. We're serving the servant of all. And the only way that will ever serve well is to allow this beautiful king, this king that has glory beyond all glory, to come and serve us. Well, how does he serve us? Isaiah 61. Let's look at it. This is how he serves us. To give good news to the poor. To comfort the brokenhearted. To set captive those that are in prison. To break addictions. This is how he serves you. He frees you to serve. To comfort those that are mourning. To give a crown of beauty instead of ashes. A joyous blessing instead of mourning. Festive praise instead of despair. See, we learn to serve by allowing Jesus to come and serve us.